Hi, it's Gabby here. Welcome to another episode of the My Possible Self podcast. My Possible Self is a mental health and wellness app that brings together content from world-leading mental health experts. We are recommended by the NHS, the UK's National Health Service, and currently we are still free to download. The objective of the My Possible Self podcast is to support the app in helping you to live well by conducting conversations with thought leaders in the mental health and well-being space. So on to today's subject. Burnout is a state of emotional, physical and mental exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged stress. It occurs when you feel overwhelmed, emotionally drained and unable to meet constant demands. We've heard the term thrown around a lot in the workplace. It's unfortunately all too common, but students and caregivers can suffer from it too. While not considered a mental illness, burnout can be considered a mental health issue. And one thing's for sure, it causes physical and mental pain. Today's guest works with employers and employees to help them better manage their stress and anxiety levels to avoid becoming burned out. She believes by understanding the impact that stress has on the body and in business is key and has first-hand experience with the crippling, damaging and extremely painful effects stress can have on the body. Her motto is human first, business second. So let's meet the human who can help you understand all about burnouts and how harmful stress can be on our body. Welcome, Katie Maycock. You're an anxiety and digestive health specialist, burnout expert, working with a lot of corporate executives. You're a nutritionist. Uh, You've recently created your own diet plan. You're also a podcast host, and you're doing this all under the umbrella of get your shit together figuratively and literally. Yep, that's exactly what I'm doing. Great intro. (laughs) Thanks. That is a lot of stuff which we need to unpack. First of all, I I actually feel like even the name of your business, get your shit together figuratively and literally, the figuratively and literally part is really, really important because the gut and our health, our mental health go hand in hand, but we're only just starting to figure this out, right? And this is something you've spent clearly a lot of time on. Uh, a lot of time on absolutely so I was a, well, I am still a nutritionist but when I first came into being a nutritionist I ended up evolving into a gut health specialist and that's how I ended up into sort of looking at stress and anxiety because without if you look at solely gut health and you don't look at stress and anxiety you're missing a beat there so you have to look at both and I know you've got your own personal experience as well and um if you don't mind I think it'd be great to hear from the horse's mouth and and share your story just in terms of like the aha moment for you when you were having all these issues with your diet and with your gut Uh, even when I was a teenager I've always had a weird stomach like I was always just had just a really weird stomach from probably around my teenage years onwards and if you look back that was when my stress and anxiety really started to get heightened but it was masked by so many other things that were going on in my life as well so my parents had just split up I just moved into state I had to start like I think I was on my fourth high school at this stage so there were so many things going on in my world at that time so all this stress was coming out so 
Honestly, I just thought I was just somebody that was just like, ah, I'm just going to have a dodgy stomach for my whole life. It is what it is. So as the years progressed, my stress and anxiety just got worse and worse and worse. And then when I was at university, I, you know, I went to university, my stress was okay. But then I started my first business at my final year in university, which I just wouldn't recommend. Like I was doing a double degree, thought it was a great idea to set up my first business probably looking back not the smartest thing to do um but during this stage like even like the whole the whole time through university at the end of every year I would end up in hospital with some kind of weird illness like just something really random and then when I finally went into my business I worked in there for about three years and then something that kind of went a bit pear-shaped I ended up in corporates um in corporate sales so doing recruitment so you you kind of said goodbye to nutrition for a bit and then went into the corporate sales or so yeah this is such a weird story so I decided when I was a nutritionist I really wanted to get into corporate well-being but I was Ah. like I have no idea I have no experience in corporate so like why don't I go figure out how to like do corporate and learn some like new skills and I think I was about 18 months in and I burnt out completely the first time took about eight months off came back for six months burnt out again and spent another 12 months just trying to figure out what was going on with me it was after the second burnout then I was just like oh crap like I can't I can't just keep having changing up my diet like during this time my stomach was uh, I was really sick we're talking like super super sick like I was I wasn't digesting food properly my joints in my body were all swollen so one day I woke up and my left hand was three times the size of itself. Oh my, my hips and my knees were swollen. I could have barely walk up and downstairs. I was like 26 years old, walking around like a little old lady. I was suffering really badly from cold sores. And we're not talking like little cold sores. We're talking like a quarter of my face could be covered in a cold sore. Wow. It was awful. So I was really, really sick. So what were the doctors saying to you at this point? Because I, I think a lot of times joining the dots between mental health and physical health your general practitioner might not put the two together so I'm interested to know what they were saying to you in Australia I presume at this point yeah it was in in Australia so let me just say this I spent around thirty thousand dollars trying to figure out what's wrong with me and they could not tell me like I would go to one doctor and they're like oh you're just stressed and anxious in a really nonchalant way so I was just like well if you're not taking me seriously why would I yeah. Like, why would I take it seriously? You're not really helping me out. Um, and then I went and saw specialists after specialists to try and figure out what was wrong with my gut. And, you know, I had all these diagnoses of like, oh, you have inflammatory bowel disease, but they couldn't tell me what it was, nothing like that. And at the end of it, I spent $30,000. I'd seen Western medicine, Eastern medicine people. Like I just gone everywhere. And I finally got to the point where I was like, dude, you're really stressed out. Like you're really stressed out. You need to you need to get your shit together figuratively to help you get your shit together literally. So that's that's how it all came about. So I mean, I've got to say, my twenties was the I was the sickest in my twenties. Have you actually found out what it is that when we're feeling stressed actually makes our body? I mean, you had it very severely, um, but like everybody to some different degree has physical symptoms. Like what, what? what is it that makes the two work together? So what happens is if we look at, so I actually have a double degree, so nutrition and physiology. So I understand how oh. the body works. I should have known better by the time, by the time I had burnt out the second time, but hey, sometimes you just got to go the hard way. Second time's um, a charm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got it all from the 
their time. Yeah. Um, so what happens when we feel stress? So there's obviously a part in the brain, so in the amygdala. So we've got, you know, if we look at the stress part of the brain, which is in the amygdala, we have a part in there that we've never evolved out of having. We've always had it to make sure that we're keeping ourselves safe. So if we, when we're hunter and gatherers and we're walking down a path and we saw a lion, tiger or a bear, we wanted our brain to just go, hey, you know what? You need to run away or fight this potential threat. So it was in a complete automatic response. Now that automatic response isn't just happening in the brain. It then creates a change within the body physiologically. So what happens? So certain things get turned on and certain things get turned off. So the things that get turned on is like our, we release adrenaline and cortisol to speed up our heart rate, increase our blood pressure. Um, we have our blood sugar levels increase as well um there's just so many different like you know blood flows to our arms and legs so it's really just priming our body to be able to run away or fight that potential threat so then we have to look at the things that get switched off the things that get switched off so we need that blood flows from somewhere so there's a lot of blood flow that goes to the digestive tract so what happens in times of stress the blood flows away from the digestive tract because your body's like do you know what it ain't really important to be digesting food right now i need to be running away from this lion tiger or bear and so that what that's what happens so it flows away from the, the stomach. So we're not digesting food really, like very well. So this is where IBS comes in, intolerances, allergies, all that kind of stuff can come from that element that we're just not getting our body into a state of wanting to digest food because it's priming itself to either run away or fight the potential threat. So there's other things that happen in there as well. So our immune system gets switched off for a short period of time. So another way to look at it is think about a time when you've worked really, really hard and then you go on holidays, what happens on that first day? You get sick, right? All the time. Anytime my mum goes away over the past, I can't even remember how many years, I'm like, oh, do you have a nice time? When she gets back from holidays and she's like, oh, I was ill for like the first five days. Yeah, I see that yeah. a lot. Yeah. It happens to a lot of people. So that's realistically what's going on with, with the body in, in that way. And so for a short period of time, it's not a huge issue. But our stresses aren't lions, tigers, and bears anymore. It's prolonged, right? Our stresses aren't, you know, if we think about it, if we're running away or fighting a potential threat, we're probably in that moment for like 10, 15 minutes, maybe, like maybe. And we're probably not in it every day. If we were, we'd be having a chat about how did we survive? Because obviously if we keep seeing lion, tigers, and bears or like saber-toothed tigers or whatever it is, we should be probably moving away from where <laughs> we were living. But our stresses yep. aren't that, right? Our stresses are, you know, work, finances, yep. kids. Deadlines. You know, they're all those different types. Mm -hmm. Yeah, deadlines, targets, all that kind of jazz. And it's ongoing. It doesn't, there's no real break. And so our bodies haven't really, they, they're very adaptable, but there is a period where your body's just like, no, I'm tapped out. I can't, I can't keep living under this kind of, strike physical stress which could be coming from psychological stress or psycho-emotional stress our bodies are still reacting physiologically and I think that we have to get out of the mindset that stress is just a mental health issue or a mindset thing mm. it is a physical thing as well same with anxiety and it's something that builds up over time as well it's not something that just materializes overnight so it might be super busy with the kids and then you get a promotion at, at work and then I don't know, something happens in your personal life and it's it's all these things until eventually your body goes, I'm out. Yeah, your body just taps out. I mean, there's so many ways. I think with stress as well, if you look, if you Google burnout, a lot of it's going to be very work focused, right? It's going to be like, oh, your work environment is toxic. It's not always the case. It's not really fair to say. Mm -hmm. Um but it's the added stress from everywhere. Stress doesn't come from, well, you know, it can come from one source, but 
we're we live in a world where there's always going to be stress coming towards us. But what we've not learned is how to deal with that and manage and to cope with it. So that's the biggest issue with it as well, right? And it's it's it can be a slow process. So from the beginning stages of stress to burning out will depend on, you know, everyone is a different in different in different walks of life, right? Like I could burn out within two, three, four, five years, kind of 10 years kind of thing. But it might take someone else a couple of months. It could take somebody a few years, depending on how intense that stress is, how many coping mechanisms they've got, where their health is at. There's just so many different factors that are involved in it that, you know, yeah. not every, there's not a pattern that everyone can follow, but there is stages to burnout, which is, right. which is really important to understand as well. Yeah. Which we'll definitely get into, but I want to ask in case I forget later and just because you have um, a background in nutrition, are there like trigger foods? Cause I've noticed, I was thinking about this the other day when I was thinking about, oh, our chat and I think about children because I'm always very worried for the next generation in terms of their diet and their stress and Mm -hmm. how much a lot of parents are still Mm. like pumping them full of sugar and how and and e-numbers and how hyper yeah they can get you know I would never want to tell anybody how to parent but I kind of shudder when I I know what the impact that is having on the kid and yeah I guess I'm just from your perspective in terms of like stress and diet um you know we all know McDonald's isn't great every day but yeah the diet element's really interesting especially when we're looking at stress right so what's really interesting what's coming out with gut health right now they're trying to figure out what comes first the chicken or the egg so which comes first does the stress cause the gut health or does the gut health cause the stress so for some people when our gut health isn't working so we're looking at the microbiome right now we're looking at the good and bad bacteria if that's not in good balance and we'll talk about good and bad we can talk a little bit more in depth about good and bad bacteria bacteria because there's a bit of a misconception there but when we look at it that there is this whole you know a you know a biome of just good healthy bacteria that can that can sort of go awry have an overgrowth of bad bacteria which can then increase the likelihood of inflammation which is then going to cause other health issues within the body and it's also been linked to depression and anxiety as well so if we're not giving our bodies the right food and the right diet and then on top of that we're not digesting food properly because we're so stressed out that is going to cause a mental health issue will potentially cause a mental health issue Mm. so when i see parents pumping their kids full of just crap it makes me shudder because it's one of those things where I know it's easier to give it to them, but at the end of the day, you're not doing them any justice for later on in their lives. Totally. Yeah. It's, I mean, kids can be stubborn as well and and they want the the sweeties, but yeah, I think maybe a little treat is fine, but when it's just kind of, it's given as well to pacify, isn't it? It's like either going shopping or whatever, and it's just easy to hand them a bag of whatever, but you do that every day. It can't be doing good things. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you think about, you know, if we just break down three habits that we stop doing when we're stressed out, it's usually we stop sleeping properly, we stop exercising and we stop having a good diet. Mm. Now, let's say we start our life off not having a good diet, not really exercising a lot and really not having a good sleep schedule from a child, from, from being a kid. Those three things are going to create a basis of having poor stress responses. Because if you think about it, think about yourself, right? If you haven't had a good night's sleep, 
how are you feeling the next day? If you do it for a long period of time, where's your stress levels at? Where's your anxiety at? And if you think about it, stress is a part of everyday life. It hundred percent is. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. We're always get, what I call, we're always going to get, we're always going to get curveballs thrown at us. It is mm-hmm. just what it is. However, if we are not creating a, like a strong foundation, which we are in complete control of, which has our diet, exercise, and sleep, we're putting ourselves at a disadvantage to be able to cope with, with stress. Absolutely. So that's the hard part when it comes to kids as well. Can I ask, and this is maybe my personal kind of curiosity, but I, I don't think I'm the only one. The word inflammation gets used a lot. And when you think of something being inflamed, you can see it. But then like, how do you know if you're inflamed internally? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's obviously signs and symptoms. So for instance, I could tell what I'm always, I can always tell when I'm inflamed because my joints will ache. I just don't feel great. I'm just, there's a tiredness that I can't really pinpoint on why I'm achy. I'm just not, I'm just not happy. Um, so but you fatigued. also can get, it feels like fatigue. It can feel like oh, fatigue wow. and just aches and can kind of feel like, you know, those times where you're like, I feel like I'm coming down with something, but you never really come down with something. It can yes. feel like that. Yeah. It can feel like that. But don't forget, you can also go get a blood test to see where your inflammatory levels are at. Like you can go get that. It's like, hey, actually, I think I'm inflamed. Can I get a blood test to check my inflammatory levels in my body? Oh, wow. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm kind of jumping back to you and your story. How how did you, air quote, fix yourself? Because, you know, the Katie I'm talking to now looks very healthy and, and sparkly and you know, on the ball and, and you don't look like you're suffering any chronic issues. I mean, I know it's hard to tell over Zoom, but yeah, like what what did you discover worked for you? And like you had these really severe issues, mm-hmm. tried everything under the sun. It turned out to be basically caused by stress. Mm-hmm. So then how did you, I guess... Yeah, how did you prescribe whatever you prescribed to yourself to to make it all go away? Yeah, so I had to really take some ownership of some of the things that I had been doing to myself. So like, let's think about it. Like when I was at university, I was doing a double degree. So I had 20 contact hours at university and that meant I had 20 hours of other work to be doing outside of university. Um, on top of that, I set up my first business. So I was working full-time in a business. I was working, I was at university full-time, which was crazy. And I then kept on taking more things on. So I actually had no idea that I had limits. Like in my head, I was superhuman. I did the same thing when I worked in recruitment. When I went into recruitment, I was up at 4.30 a.m. doing a bit of a side hustle. I was going to the gym before I was going to work. So, you know, I'd have to leave my house at 7 o'clock just to get to work alone. Then I wasn't getting home until 7 o'clock at night doing a couple of other bits and bobs and then just like rinse and repeat kind of thing. My weekends weren't, you know, relaxing either. Like I was always doing something. And so I really had to take note of what I was doing to myself. Like I really had to start looking at, okay, there's three things I looked at. So I had to look at my physical health. I had to break that down. It's like, okay, diet, exercise, and sleep. One of the biggest things that I really did think was optional was sleep I stopped actually like you know for me if I got four hours sleep I was like that's a good night like high five me that's a that's enough sleep for me <laughs> um my diet and exercise were really good however I was probably over exercising as well I was exercising six days a week I was in the gym for like hours at a time um I was always active always doing something I was probably putting my body under too much pressure causing like you know looking at how I was also working so that was one thing. My diet was always relatively good. I didn't need to change too much of my diet. I actually need to take 
I needed to stop hyper-focusing on my diet and actually come at my diet in a bit more of a relaxed approach, which was really challenging, especially because I actually have a, I actually had an eating disorder for most of my teenage years. So that was pretty intense. So yeah, so getting back to what I was saying, I had to take note of my diet. So for me, my diet was what I would consider perfect, but I had to take the pressure off myself. So although I didn't have an eating disorder when I was, because I had an eating disorder from the age of 15 to 22, um, even though I wasn't, I didn't have an eating disorder then, you do have weird habits that you got to come out of, especially when I had an eating disorder for seven years. So that was, that was interesting. So I take care of myself physically. Then I had to change my mindset. So I had to go into things and understand, okay, what's stressing me out? What are triggering me? How can I overcome it? And sort of just take a bit of a sideward step and just go, okay, cool. There's no point in stressing about some certain things. I know it's easier said than done, but I came up with a few exercises for myself to help manage my stress and anxiety. But then the biggest part was how I worked. I had to change how I work and how I perceived work because I thought for myself, if I'm not working 12, 16 hour days, I'm not really working that hard. I'm just lazy. So I had to actually change my mindset to actually what work really meant and how hard I actually worked and like actually what in those 12, 16 hours, am I actually being productive? Because often and often to not, I really, really wasn't being yeah, that I mean, way. yeah, and and that's that's definitely a, a culture thing. And I don't even know who decided on a forty-hour week. I mean, a lot of people would be like, "I wish I dream of a forty-hour week now," because you know, especially with modern technology, we could, we're always on. But I'm like, why not a thirty-hour week? Who said that we had to most of our lives be at the grind? I know it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I think it was just you know the minute the industrial revolution happened because if you think about like prior industrial revolution we worked when the sun was up we would go to bed when the sun was down so there was like you know some of our year where we would have been up at seven or eight and then finished at what three or four depending on where in the world you live yeah and then the summer times we probably would have worked longer hours but it was balanced out whereas now it's just like with electricity coming in with the industrial revolution you know, it was like, well, now we can work more hours. That, that's that's a great thing, isn't it? It's like, maybe not no. so much. No, <laughs> definitely maybe not. not so much. <laughs> Especially when it's like, for me, because I like to move around and use my body. And then like, I always think back in the old days, I wouldn't have minded if the work was more physical, you know, yeah. like moving your body all day and then going to bed versus staring in front of a computer screen for like 10, 12 hours a day. It's it's not not great. Yeah, definitely. Let's open the can of worms of mental health in the workplace. And this is kind of your main jam, I I believe. And hearing your story, this makes so much sense. So on your podcast, you say you work with a lot of type A corporate professionals. What what is a type A corporate professional? What does that mean? So, you know, the people that are highly motivated, that don't stop, they're very driven, they're very goal orientated. Um, You know, you look at them and they're pretty highly strung. So we all probably like know somebody in the workplace like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, So it's typically the people that are really trying to get a point, get from point A to point B in the quickest possible way they can possibly get there. So that's what we mean by type A professionals. They're very, very professional uh, most of the time. They can be, you know, a bit unpolished as well. However, they're typically very driven, very motivated. Um, They will tell you they work really, really well under pressure, which they probably do to a certain point, but they've also got to understand that there is the performance and the pressure model. You have to remember that there is a point where 
a certain amount of pressure is going to be really good, but when you put too much pressure on it, it's going to, you're going to fall off the other side. So if you think of it as bell curve. So that's the yeah. kind of people that I work with. So are you brought in by companies who maybe are a bit more forward thinking or a bit more progressed that they are they uh, want to protect the well-being of, of these high-flying staff that they probably uh, achieve great things for the business and so they just want to make sure that they keep them in check or is it more the high flyers the the type a professionals that starting to show some you know cracks and and need your help a bit of both actually so I've worked with um, CEOs and I work with leadership teams at that level so what has happened previously so I worked mainly one-on-one with CEOs who were just like you know what I'm feeling really burnt out and then when we looked at the whole grand scheme of how they've built their business because I always say to them your behaviors and your attitudes to your work it's going to like rub off on people around you as well so what doesn't surprise me if you've got a CEO burning out and you got some staff burning that as well. Um, it is forward-thinking companies typically, but I've got people who have burnt out who are type A going, you know what, I'm really not sure how to like structure my day. I don't really know how to switch off. I don't really know how to make sure that I can perform sustainably because I was doing really well under the pressure element and now I'm falling off the falling off the other side and I don't know what went where did it where did it go wrong is pretty much what I'm getting but the other thing is I'm working with a lot of leadership teams right now as well helping them understand the impact that stress has on performance and getting them to understand that yes pressure is okay but you've also got to understand that there's going to be, if you've got a team of five people, they're all going to react differently to certain amounts of pressure. They're all going to have different thresholds and it's also fluid. So some days they're going to be able to take on more than other days. It's being able to understand how you can spot the signs, how you can, you know, make sure that, you know, your team isn't, isn't falling off the, falling off the deep end. Right. And well, and speaking of signs, I think it was your website where you broke down it's the physical, the mental and the emotional. Um, yep. If you could sort of talk us through that a little bit, just not only for people that might be like, oh, yeah, that's me, that's me that's listening, but then also those that have staff that could be like, yeah. oh, that might be what's wrong with them. Yeah. So let's break down how to spot signs in yourself, right? So I always break it down the physical, emotional, and mental side because if you look at what burnout is, it's exhaustion physically, mentally, and emotionally from prolonged stress. Mm. So that's essentially what burnout is. Um, The physical signs signs can be, you know what, maybe you are not sleeping very well. Maybe you're finding it difficulty falling asleep. Maybe you're finding difficulty waking up. Maybe you're having moments in the day where you're just generally just really fatigued. The questions that I always ask around sleep is like, do you wake up feeling anxious? Because sometimes people can wake up feeling agitated or do you wake up and you're like I can't get out of bed today I'm just not feeling that great and you're forcing yourself out of it that's one sign of of burnout as well obviously gut health issues is another really big one low immunity so if you're constantly getting sick and you can't figure out why you're constantly getting sick that's a pretty big sign that you know what you're not coping with stress very well you're probably on the journey towards burnout um, not that you're completely burnt out because trust me once you've completely burnt out you know mm-hmm. like you know when you've done it you know and you don't want to be there mm-hmm. you don't want to completely burn out so but there's some of the signs that you can look at you know, some people might be losing their hair that's a pretty extreme case like having alopecia mm-hmm. but you know just general inflammation having aches and pains in the body sore joints all that kind of stuff so that's the physical stuff mm-hmm. yeah sorry I was just going to say but I think you're getting to it the mental stuff like forgetfulness was one I saw that you listed. Yeah. 
so if you think about your yourself when you're firing on all cylinders right so if you think about what you're like mentally right you're focused you're driven you can make really good decisions um there's a lot of clarity there's no brain fog Mm -hmm. there's you know you're able to be take in more information it doesn't feel like there's a haze over your head but once you are starting to struggle with stress if you think about the opposite of that you're unfocused you can't concentrate you're forgetful um you know you're struggling just to make good quality decisions you're either making really rash decisions or you're unable to make any decisions so you kind of procrastinate a little bit more than you normally would or you're just like i don't want to deal with that so let me push that to the side um so there's some of the things that you can look at on the mental side but on the emotional side it's also looking at how you're emotionally doing right are you normally a chilled out person and all of a sudden you're starting to you know get angry over the smallest things have you got a short fuse are you getting more frustrated and angry at the people around you or are you withdrawing have you gone from a chatty Cathy kind of person and you're now just really withdrawing and you're not you know you're not able to to deal with people around you and that's a that's a difference to look out for as well in yourself on the opposite side, so how do you spot somebody around you or on your team that's burning out, which is a big one for managers right now? Again, you can look at the physical signs. So if somebody's usually very well presented and maybe they're coming in a little bit unkept, like, you know, maybe they just don't look their normal self. Maybe they look a little tired. Be very careful when you approach somebody about it. Like, don't be, like, be very careful on how you approach them. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, you <laughs> look like shit. Um, <laughs> just paying attention to how someone's presenting as well. Other things are, are they taking more time off than they used to be taking off? Um, you know, are they not showing up to work on time? If you're on Zooms right now, you know, have they, did they always have the camera on and now it's ca- the camera's off? Things like that just, you know, are they missing meetings? There's just those t- different, like really subtle changes that you can look for. Now, if you look at, you can't really ask them mental or the mental side would be, are they making more mistakes? Do they seem less focused? Are they not getting as much work done? But the big one is a drop in performance, right? If they were really performing quite well and there's a change in that performance, maybe they're just gone from a top performer to just being just to coasting you know just getting enough done or just doing the right amount of work but they're not doing what they were previously doing that's a pretty big sign that someone in your team just isn't coping with stress or something in their world when I was listening and honestly the amount of steps I did yesterday because I was binging your podcast um so thank you I got my cardio in uh, you're welcome <laughs> you were talking to somebody that you call the fairy godmother about recruitment oh, my, my in the main lady Rhonda Rhonda <laughs> yeah 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 it was a, it was a fascinating episode but there was something you were talking about it was um you'd done a like a survey and a lot of people in the workplace had said that leadership and management is the main cause of stress which is not surprising because it's been going on forever right um Mm -hmm. but it's such a sensitive subject to approach I imagine from either sides like because I think because it, I feel like it's since technology, it's always been the way it is that, you know, the, the better you do, the more work you get given to do and you climb up the, the rungs of the ladder. Yeah, I think that conversation for either party must be really hard, whether it's identifying somebody on your team or it's going to your boss and being like, we need to talk about boundaries and expectations here. Yeah, because that's a tough one, right? So I, I will say this. 
a, the leadership team gets the rough end of the stick every time. They will always get the rough end of the stick, the stick when, it, when we're looking at mental health and burnout and stress and things like that. And you, I think depending on where they are, if they're middle managers, that's a hard one because they've got targets that they're getting from their bosses. Yeah, yeah. Then they've got a team underneath them that they're trying to motivate. And if their team isn't, their team's burning out and they're not motivated, then they're feeling like they have to put the pressure on them. So they're trying to disperse the pressure and it ends up being this colossal thing that fails. And I think that as leaders, I think people forget they're humans too. And a lot of the times, if you think that the people that are in management and at the leadership level, they've been promoted because they're really, really good at doing their job. They might not be great people managers. So that's one element just to look at. But the other thing is as well, this is a new, we're in a new world, right? We didn't, we've just allowed technology to come into the workplace and not put boundaries in, on the on the technology, right? You know, no one is saying to you, don't check your emails at six in the morning. No one's telling you to do that thing. Probably don't do that. But no one's really going, don't be sending emails at 6 a.m., checking your emails at 6 a.m. Hey, don't be emailing somebody at 2 a.m. in the morning. Like we're not really, there's no real boundaries there unless you put them on yourself. And then that can be really confusing. If you've got a boss that's emailing you at two in the morning and your boss goes to you, I don't expect you to respond to that. But you're somebody that's like, well, I really want to climb the corporate ladder. And if you're sending me emails at 2 a.m., then maybe I should be sending me emails at 2 a.m. And maybe if I'm working as hard as you are, then maybe you'll recognize me a little bit more. It's very confusing it's a very it's a big thing to un, unpick but I would absolutely be saying it's a it's a really difficult conversation to have and I have actually seen more managers push back right now on the mental health talk not all of them but some are really pushing back because they're like I don't want to be keep being told I'm the bad guy I don't want to keep having to be you know be the guy that's like I'm just following the top the top saying so the changes that need to happen have to happen from the top down. Right. So middle, if you're in a middle manager role, that's a really tough place for you to be. But if we work from the top down and we start getting better behaviors, better culture change, and we start looking at different ways of communicating, understanding expectations, understanding boundaries, understanding what parts of the business are where in regards to mental health. You know, if you've got a big company, you've got a sales team that are burning out, but you've got customer service that is just really disengaged, they're going to need two different solutions. You know what I mean? So mm. we've got to understand what is the actual pain points in the different parts of the business. So, yeah, but it's an interesting conversation talking to leaders and getting them to understand you're just literally trying to do what you're told and we've not seen a world that's not been like that. You know, we're starting to, we're starting to change the narrative what in the last five, 10 years about mental health in the workplace. Yeah. Surely as well, like the retention, it would increase dramatically if the workplace, you know, it wasn't just all about presentations and targets. There was some joy doing what we do because we do do it for so many hours a day. Um, but yeah, I've noticed, I mean, I'm wrapping up on a contract for one of the biggest companies in the world but like I, I certainly have noticed those that have been promoted within the company are those that send emails at half past 10 at night they seem to be always on it's that always on mentality and then you're looking at that and going oh well in, in order to get the promotion this is what's expected of me and that's a really slippery slope yeah yeah so, but I think it's like a, it's it's probably a global thing. It's absolutely a global thing. Like I've got clients that I work with 
um, who, you know, I've got clients that say, oh yeah, no, I'll send the email at 2am in the morning to, to my, to my, to my guys. So I'm like, why can't that wait until the morning? Why do you feel compelled? What's in my head? I better write it down. I'm like, you can time your emails, you know, like you can write it down to get it out of your head and then go, I want this to be sent at 8am mm. rather than at 2am. Because you don't know if that person on the other end has their phone on silent. It's like, well, it's their choice to have their phone on silent. It's like, but if you've created a culture where you th- where it's acceptable to send an email at 2 a.m. and you're a young person trying to just figure out your way in the world or you want to be, you want to get that next promotion and you want to be seen as, you know, successful, they're gonna, they're going to be doing that. And your reasons for working at 2 a.m. might be very different for their reasons at 2 a.m. So I think as a company whole, you've got to be looking at the behaviors that everyone has at every level and thinking about how is this impacting on the person on the receiving end? So, well, I don't have that expectation. It's like, no, no, you don't have that expectation, but there is an element of osmosis where someone's going to see you do that and want to do the same thing. Yeah. And as this has all been heightened due to the pandemic, hasn't it? Where everything's yep. gone remotely and and in a way, we've been very fortunate that we can still work. You know, if it had happened 20 years ago, it would have been a completely different story. But you can never leave the office because the office is where you live. So, like, how yeah. does your – how or when does your working day stop and your personal life start? As you've seen, I'm talking to you in my kitchen. <laughs> yeah, It's where I eat, but it's where I work, you know? Yeah. I think that, you know, in the UK, things are easing at the moment. So obviously we're able to go out a little bit more. Um, but what I always had to tell people, I'm like, you have to have a strict start time, a strict end time. So do something. If you need to distract yourself, have a healthy distraction in the morning, like have a routine in the morning that, you know, allows you to wake up, do some stuff for you, make sure that you're checking in with yourself rather than checking in with other people on the internet. So whether that's emails, messages, social media, all that kind of jazz. Don't do that for at least the first, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of waking up. Spend some time just checking in with yourself. So have a specific start time as well and have some things that are healthy for you to do in the morning. If you want to go for a walk, go for a walk. If you want to do some yoga at home, do some yoga at home. Do whatever you do. Like do you, you do you. You figure out what's going to work for you, but have a healthy routine in the morning that's going to help allow you to start work at 8 a.m. And then at the end of the day, you have to have a specific end time, right? Like you've got to have a time where you go, I'm going to finish at this time. Now it might actually be really helpful for you to have something that you want to do after work whether it's you know I'm going to go for a walk around the block and I'm going to call my best mate at that time so you've got something scheduled and you're getting your steps and you're talking to another human being or booking something in but being able to shut down and do go for a walk or go for a bike ride or go meet up for a friend um, with a friend in a park if you can do that depending on where the world you are right now Um, but doing those different types of things is really really important but what's really interesting is that in this, I knew this was going to happen. So at the beginning of this year, I was waiting for the figures to come out to find out how many people are burning out. So people alone this year have been Googling the signs and symptoms of burnout. It's increased by 45% in previous years, 45%. Wow, this is nearly doubled. It's nearly doubled if you think about it. Yeah, and if you think about the reasons why that is. So we're working from home. You've also got the furlough scheme. So people who have been either made redundant or furloughed. So, you know, if you've if 50% of your team is furloughed and you haven't been furloughed, you are then having to take on potentially two people's work. So you're working really, really hard. If there's been mass redundancies in your company, you're 
you know, you're scared, you're worried for your own job security. So you're working really hard to be like, please don't fire me. Like, watch, look what I'm doing. I'm really valuable. Please don't make me redundant. Um, and then just that ongoing fear of the unknown of when this lockdown is going to end, when this pandemic is going to end. This is happening globally. You know, so there's a lot of people struggling with the uncertainty. As human beings, we like to know when things start and when things end. We have no idea when we had, you know, especially at the beginning, we had no idea when this was going to end. We've got, we had no game plan back then as well. You know, if you go back 18 months ago. So it's even before the pandemic, stress is the number one proxy killer, right? But yet, yep. I mean, I, I think about one of my best friends who is a high flyer and um, is always on, but she's also always ill. Yep. She's, and she, she, anytime I see her, she's, knackered yeah she's just exhausted is probably yep. a better word um but we kind of do sweep it under the carpet and there's the badge of honor again to be busy I guess if enough of us stand up and say okay boundaries for ourselves for others then hopefully we can make a change I saw that the World Health Organization has basically declared burnout as a medical condition now yep so does that mean that like doctors can prescribe kind of holistic treatments for it i mean i guess they can get sick time now yeah it's more i think it's more to say hey i need to be signed off work from work with burnout that's how i've understood it um if you really think about how to resolve burnout and to overcome burnout firstly the first you know if you've burnt out completely trust me you you wake up it's not you don't wake up it's just it's all you feel like you've just woken up and you're like i can't get out of bed that happened to me twice um but if you looked at all the lead up to it I was just like oh no there was warning signs I had some I had some I had some things there that I should have been really focusing on um but realistically having time off work if you've burnt out is putting a band-aid on it right you can't just go oh I'm working you know an 80 hour week I'll take two weeks off trust me you're not going to be better in two weeks if you've burnt out but you know you can't take that two weeks off or have some annual leave or have an extra day off and be like I'm going to be completely fine with that if the fundamental reasons that you are burning out don't change, your burnout won't change. So you need to be putting in your own, understanding your own limits, understanding your own warning signs, understanding what's working for you and what's not working for you. Understanding all of that is so, so important. But just, you know, with companies, if anyone that's working in a company right now that and you're in a leadership role, offering extra time off is just kind of like a Band-Aid, right? It's something that's going to make people feel good, but there has to be a prolonged approach to this because burnout is, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. So yeah, and don't be doing Band-Aids, things like have some time off. That's not helping it. You need to go to the fundamental reasons of why people are burning out Yeah. and change that. And it's we've obviously covered a lot about it, the workplace, but it's not just the workplace where somebody can experience getting burnt out. Um, you know, if they're caring with some, for somebody would be one busy Care and burnout's a massive one right now, right? If you think about it, a lot of people are having to care for their, their loved ones. They might not be able to get people from facilities to come in and help them anymore right now, especially with COVID. Um, mm-hmm. So care burnout, there's parental burnout. You know, if you've got young kids, mm-hmm. think about homeschooling, right? If you were a parent and you were homeschooling <laughs> and trying to work full time, it does not surprise me if a parent is like, well, I'm just feeling a little burnt out. Like, Definitely. I'm just, I'm not, not doing very well right now. So there's 
it's it's not just from one way so in terms of like you know helping each other get through through this as well i think treating family members treating co-workers just with that extra bit of compassion and and now that you've so brilliantly explained more of the signs that we can sort of rather than just being like oh they've been a bit off for the past month i'm not going to talk to them because they were rude to me yesterday yeah yeah it's like you know, I understand having boundaries. Look, here's the thing. What I say when people are behaving badly towards you, that's not okay. Their behavior is not okay. But understanding where that behavior is coming from is really, really important, right? It's like if you had a child mm-hmm. um, and your child is behaving badly. You don't go to your child, you are a bad person. You are a bad child. You say that behavior is unacceptable. I don't like it. Yeah. What's going on? You would figure out why they were having that behavior just do that on an adult forum forum right like i think it's easy for us to be like that person was an a-hole today to me today i don't want to talk to them ever again it's like but why were they being an a-hole yeah it might not actually be you it might actually be something else that's going on in their world doesn't mean their behavior was okay but going hey you know what you're an a-hole to me yesterday i don't really appreciate it is there something going on that's you know yeah are you, you know, that's creating this mm-hmm. yeah you know i would probably go is there something going on that i don't know about so when I talk about burnout, I talk about it as it's burnout's a destination. There is a journey that leads you to that destination, right? So we've got six stages, what I talk about. So the first stage can actually feel quite exhilarating. It could be actually, you know what, I'm really excited. I've got a new goal. I've got a new job. Yeah, I can t- you're starting to say yes to more more work because that's what you feel like you have to do and you have the energy to do it so you're probably tapping into your adrenaline stores and that actually feels quite good when you've got adrenaline running through your body and it's not feeling negative you know you have more focus you have more clarity you can work harder you can work longer and you're probably a getting rewarded for doing it by your managers going well done i'm seeing that you're really working hard keep it up that kind of mentality so if you are somebody that thrives on that you know, that approval, you're going to keep doing it, right? And you're getting the results that you want. On top of that, you're then, um, you know, you're, you're trying to work harder from that point. Now, then what happens is after that moment is, you know what, the, the first lackluster part kind of falls off and you end up going, hang on a second, I'm not feeling as energized. I'm starting to get a little bit foggy. So you start going into stage two, and it's what I call, you just have to work a bit harder. It's when you're actually going, well, I'm, I'm used to working 12-hour days and I wasn't tired for you know, weeks, months or whatever it was, that you, how long ever, however long you were doing it for. So you're still trying to do the same amount of work, but with the less amount of energy. So you're probably at this stage, just not getting the same amount of results, but still working as long, if not longer now, because you're just trying to do the same amount of t- things, but with less energy. So you're having to probably work longer just to get it done. So you're working harder. Then the third stage is welcome to frustration. You're starting to get frustrated, right? So you're actually starting to, you're thinking to yourself, why am I, why am I, you know, I'm trying to do the same amount of work. I'm not getting the same amount of results. You're starting to get a little bit irritated, um, you know, with just yourself realistically, like why can't I, why am I not producing what I want to be producing? Why is it not coming as easily as it was? Those different types of things. You're starting to probably physically see some changes as well. You're probably starting to feel quite tired. You're probably feeling quite restless. Um, you know, you might not be taking care of yourself. You might not be getting enough sleep at this stage. You might actually be feeling quite wired, not able to switch off from work um, or, you know, not getting to sleep properly or waking up throughout the night. You're probably starting to see some sleep disturbances potentially. You might start getting signs of like 
gut health issues, but they're nothing to really write back home about. Like some mm-hmm. of the issues here, are like, ah, it is what it is. It's not it's not ruining your day just right now. Chatty brain and like looping thoughts. I find one of the oh, at night time if I'm stressed, that is the pits. Yeah, it's it really is hard because you're trying to break it. Yeah. And it's being able to let go and it's really difficult to let go. I actually have to, when I'm in most stages, I have to put white noise on because then it helps my brain focus on something else and then I can fall asleep. Yeah, I have a machine. Yeah. <laughs> it helps. Honestly, like I don't norm, I only use white noise when I'm in that stage. So because trust me, I know what it's like. I used to be, I used to be an insomniac. It was really annoying. Um, and so then we move into stage four and what stage four is what I call anxiety and denial. So at this stage, you're probably starting to get a little bit sick and you're starting to probably get a bit more anxious and a bit more stressed out. So you're starting to feel the real effect of that stress and anxiety on the body. You're starting to probably, your health is probably deteriorating at this stage as well. You might be in denial about it. You're like, if I just, you might be hearing things like if I just get to X part, I'll be able to take a break. Or if I just get to, if I just do X, Y, and Z, then this will happen. And you keep living in this world of, I've just got to keep doing things until I reach to this milestone and then everything will change. You're kind of lying to yourself because you know once to that milestone, you're going to create a new goal for you to achieve. So you're going to keep going for it. And you're in complete denial. You're probably starting to have some behavioral changes. You're probably getting a bit more snappy, a bit more angry at this stage because you're feeling anxious or you're withdrawing. You're not going to social events. You're not seeing friends. You're not answering the phone. You're not writing back to messages, things like that. Then stage five hits. And this is cynicism and apathy. So what you're doing at this stage is you're starting to become very cynical about your job, something that you might've loved. You might've loved your job and all of a sudden you're not really liking it. Or you might not ever have liked your job and now you just don't really care. You're just really apathetic towards it all. Your health is probably taking a massive hit right now. Your sleep's taking a massive hit. You're not able to focus. You're not able to concentrate. You're probably just feeling pretty crappy. Mm-hmm. And then the next stage is full burnout. You know, that's when there's complete exhaustion across the board. Wow. This has just been such a, a, a really interesting conversation. And thank you for shedding so much light. To, I guess, wrap it up, we've talked a lot about how we can sort of recognize the signs. And, and the thing is, it's like, it's not one size fits all. It's very individual but like, if you're thinking, oh, yeah, okay, there's things I need to do. Certainly, the striking the right work-life balance is one. Um, and going back to the diet, I heard on a, one of the podcasts. I think it might have been your one with Love Fitness that you you like intermittent yes. fasting. That you're a fan of yes. intermittent fasting. You th- I know that, like, um, in terms of what it it you know giving your body that time to re-energize and and um what's the word I'm looking for like repair and renew and all that stuff it's really great but in terms of like like eliminating a bit of stress is is that a factor into it as well so I started doing intermittent fasting about four or five years ago as just I was doing this weird year where I was just trialing on all these different diets myself so I have guinea pigged a whole bunch of different diets on myself um so I just did intermittent fasting and what I actually found was that my gut just felt a little bit better like I wasn't getting as bloated I didn't feel as sick I wasn't getting as nauseous um just my stomach like I was just digesting I just felt like I was digesting food a little bit better and also when I wake up in the morning I was never hungry like I never really wanted to eat I just ate because you know we 
the misconception of breakfast is the most healthiest meal in the, right. in the in the day um which is completely just a marketing technique that was done by Kellogg's about 100 years ago so that's a fun fact um but yeah. I, I just found that I was eating in the morning, just not feeling that great and feeling quite sluggish. So I tried tried intermittent fasting myself. And I do the 16-8, so I fast 16 hours a day, have eight-hour window where I eat. And for me, it just it, I just don't feel as bloated. I just feel like my digestion just feels better. Now, if we, pull that, if we link that in with stress and anxiety, if mm. I'm waking up and I'm a bit stressed out, because I actually do wake up and I'm like I'm one of those people that just wakes up like raring to go I am one of those people oh, I'm so like, jealous I just want to... <laughs> no but when it comes like five at night I'm like do not talk to me anybody like do not come near me like I am not the nicest person in the world <laughs> okay yeah I'm the, I see I, that's interesting I'm completely the reverse I'm like yeah you know I want to try and wind down and I, I do all the things and then I'm in bed like ping until about midnight and then yeah, yeah. I can't I'm like nine o'clock and I'm probably trying to get to my body I'm trying to fight not going to sleep so it's just the way I work right so um for me it actually just makes life a little bit easier for me I'm a big fan of it um and most of my clients that I have on intermittent fasting have really good results whether it's just you know what they got health just feels a bit better mm-hmm. um they just you know they're giving their body a bit of a break mm. so is this something that you um endorse in your diet plan because yeah. um, we don't want to give away all the, the secrets or whatever. But, um, <laughs> yeah, if you could tell us why you decided to create this diet plan and, and the strategies that you've impl- implemented, because it sounds like it's not just like, hey, eat this. It's like when you eat it, why are you eating it, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, so the diet plan came about because I've been a nutritionist for over 10 years now, and there is just so much crap on the internet and out there and you've got like pt pete's of the world like trying to give you these you know really 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 calorie restrictive diets to help you look good for summer or whatever trying to promote you know 30 days lose 60 pounds kind of crap mm-hmm. i just want to call shit on all of that because that's not what essentially we're trying to do so the diet plan is giving you a basis of it is based on intermittent fasting but you don't have to do intermittent fasting it's just understanding this is what your plate should look like. This is how to structure your day. And you're in complete control of what, what that looks like. It's just like obviously given parameters. Um, but the biggest part of the diet plan as well is understanding the mindset that goes with it, understanding the goal setting that you want to be able to do. It's understanding how do you interact, how does stress interrupt your body? How is, and it's all about bringing everything that I've just spoken about today, how, you know, all together, right? So you know, what's going on when you're feeling stressed out? Here are some exercises to help you when you're feeling stressed out, how to actually help your body digest those foods properly. Oh, wow. Um, it's all about gut health digestion. It's all about making sure that you are creating a, like habits and breaking bad habits, not just for the 30 days that the diet plan goes for, but actually going on for longer than that. So understanding actually, these are my bad habits. This is where they're coming from. This is how they got started. And let me call bullshit on that. And now I can get, you know, move forward on what I want to do with my life. Because at the end of the day, I reckon we all know majority of people who have yo-yo dieted. We know people who are perpetually on some type of new fame dangle diet. Like 
I remember if you, I don't know if you remember the nineties where it was like, you know, the cabbage soup diet and the detox <laughs> diet where you were drinking like the lemon water and maple syrup and yes, cayenne yeah. pepper one. And yeah. Yeah. I just want to call massive bullshit on all of that. And it doesn't, ha- you don't, I'm trying to uncomplicate something that's been overcomplicated for many of years just to take your money. So yeah. that's essentially what I've done. And I'm hearing from what you're saying, if, if there was going to be a mantra, it's rest and digest. Yeah, be... that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's um, pretty much it. Amazing. It's getyourshittogether.io is the yep. name of the website, which is a whole host of information. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. That wraps up another episode of the My Possible Self podcast. Thanks again to Katie Maycock for helping us better understand the effects of stress and burnout on the body. If you're listening to us anywhere outside of the My Possible Self app, do subscribe in the usual places so that you are the first to receive a new episode of the podcast, which will drop every Tuesday. I've been Gabby. Until the next one, take care of yourselves and each other.